Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. There's a principle of fatherhood that is so built into creation that two biblical writers appeal to that creation principle to explain God's behavior. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Both Solomon and later the author of the book of Hebrews appeal to the obvious creation principle that they assume everyone knew in their era. Loving fathers don't allow their children to persist in selfish, wrong behavior. They discipline their children out of love for them. In our own day, a rather weird time in history, frankly, when cultural voices are denying what every other culture in history has affirmed, that there are differences between fathers and mothers, it seems necessary to examine this creation principle of fatherhood. It is also important because today so much child-rearing advice is rooted in a fear of stifling a child or harming his self-esteem instead of recognizing that by nature a child wants to be the center of the universe, dad giving him what he wants when he wants it, and the rest of the world catering to his wants and demands. This episode examines how fathers must protect their child from the child's worst enemy, the main person who can ruin his life, himself, because he comes into this world with a self-centered, sinful nature. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 25 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Gagel. This episode draws six biblical principles from Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11, for Christian fathers to follow in disciplining their kids. You may not yet be married or be a dad, or you may be an empty nester, but I'm confident these principles will be enlightening to you as you coach or teach or grandparent or pass on parenting guidance or consider how your Heavenly Father parents you. The text, again, is Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, where the writer is trying to explain to his readers the painful experiences that they are called to endure. He writes, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For... They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Now, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
As today we continue the series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God, this text is loaded with parallels between the way God has designed fathers to discipline their children and the way God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us. Let's observe those principles. Number one, God has ordained the common grace principle that a father must protect his children from the destruction of their own self-centered, rebellious nature by firmly disciplining them. Proverbs 22.15 reminds us, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, in their book, Boundaries with Kids, describe this sinful nature that our kids have in action. They write, an accurate description of children is that they are little people who are out of control of themselves and attempting to control everyone around them. They do not want to take control of themselves to adapt to the requirements of mom and dad. They want mom and dad to change the requirements. As noted in the introduction, this creation common grace principle that loving fathers discipline their children is quoted by Solomon in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. It is then repeated in Hebrews 12. Then the author of Hebrews takes the principle a step further, asking rhetorically, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In fact, this creation design that fathers discipline their children is so foundational that Hebrews continues, If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Not only does this creation principle apply to all human families, but in the community of faith, Paul reinforces it in Ephesians 6 when he explicitly charges fathers, not mothers, to raise up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, to be sure, children are commanded to obey parents, not just dad. We are joined at the hip with our wives who provide vital partnership in administering discipline. Nevertheless, in God's creation design and in the new humanity, the church, the responsibility for disciplining the children is given to fathers, not mothers. It is worth noting that in America, manuals for raising children were addressed to fathers until the mid-1800s, when the Industrial Revolution took men out of their homes and into factories, essentially taking them out of their children's lives during the day. That is when parenting manuals stopped addressing fathers and started addressing mothers. As Christian men devoted to staying focused on our mission from the Lord, we need to recover this responsibility think deeply about biblical principles of discipline, and seek our wife's participation in presenting a unified, coherent plan for disciplining our kids. As we consider such a plan, we see in Hebrews 12 a second truth. Loving our children requires firmly disciplining them. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Parental love needs to be far more than a caring feeling inside toward our children. The word used here for love is agape, which is sacrificial love devoted to doing whatever is best for the other. What is best for our child, frankly, is often the opposite of what my warm feelings for her would guide me to do. My warm feelings don't want conflict. My caring feelings don't want my child to be in pain. But... 
The reality is that painful consequences for wrong behavior consistently administered is the way that God commands parents to raise their kids. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It is not loving to passively allow a child's sinful nature to shape her into a self-centered monster who expects the world to revolve around her. Nearly all a child needs for success and happiness, she must learn through a parent's discipline. This is such a vital truth that God says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24. Here are some reasons why parents fail to firmly discipline their children. The first, honestly, is parental irresponsibility. God commands parents, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Proverbs 19.18 A child's job is to test your boundaries, your resolve, so he can learn about reality. Your child's sinful nature makes him hate rules and limits. The parent's job is to withstand the testing of those limits including the child's anger, pouting, tantrums, and so forth. You are teaching him the fear of the Lord, which means that humans don't break God's moral laws so much as God's moral laws break us. The second reason that good parenting might not be taking place is believing that loving their child means accepting his wrong behavior instead of correcting it. The biblical view is the exact opposite. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29.15 The third reason parents fail to discipline their child firmly is emotional neediness. Sometimes parents are more dependent than they realize upon their child's affection and closeness, which fills their emotional tank. Unconsciously, they are hesitant to create hostility in their child by being firm with discipline. Here is a Christian psychologist's explanation of this barrier to genuinely loving our kids, a story about Samantha raising a little monster, honestly. Why can't I spend the night with Madeline, whined 13-year-old Beverly to her mother, Samantha. Tentatively, Samantha said, Honey, remember that you've already been out two nights this week, and it's a school night. I'm sure you can see Madeline another time. You just don't want me to have friends. I never get to do anything I want to, ever, ever. With this pronouncement, Beverly stomped out of the kitchen and up to her room. Samantha then began the ancient dance she and her daughter had danced for many years. Samantha wanted and needed Beverly to be happy and close. Their relationship was a central source of support for her. It was too painful to endure her daughter's distance. Standing outside the closed door to her bedroom, Samantha said to Beverly, Well, maybe I've been a little harsh. You've had a tough week. I guess one more night won't hurt you. The door burst open, and Beverly embraced Samantha and exclaimed, Mom, you're the best. The fourth reason parents don't discipline their child diligently is over-identifying with the child. Those who are gifted at showing mercy are especially susceptible to this obstacle. They instinctively want to protect their child from pain. Their thoughts may harken back to painful experiences they had with their own parents when they felt misunderstood 
or were denied what they really wanted by their parents. But they must understand that their child will be most helped in the long run by the parent imposing painful consequences now to learn the character lessons that will prevent more serious pain later. For example, a child who is punished for violating the rule that they are not to talk to strangers in public places when mom and dad are not around may be spared the horror of being sexually abused in the future. The fifth obstacle to good parenting is ignoring and zapping. This approach to parenting is quite common. A dad on the playground says to his son, Stop playing on the monkey bars. But his son knows that this command means nothing. His father will not act until he has told the boy four or five times to stay off the monkey bars. So the child continues to ignore his father's command. The father, who is busy talking, yells at him again, but the son knows that his dad is not steamed up enough to act. Finally, the father reaches his limit and explodes. You've got me really angry now with you. Go get in the car. The dad essentially trained his son not to obey until he started to get angry. He also made the issue his anger instead of the son's disobedience. Kids live up to what is demanded of them. And finally, another reason that is common for all of us for not being as firm as we should be is being worn down. Kids work us and work us. A key to successful parenting is enduring your child's hatred of your restrictions, your boundaries for them. Remember, their job is to test our boundaries, and they are usually very good at their job. One wise parent said, the trick of parenting is to hold on to your restrictions one more time than your children hold on to their demand. So disciplining a child is tough. The only thing tougher is living with a child who is not firmly disciplined. So the second principle from Hebrews 12 is that parental love requires firm discipline. The third principle from Hebrews 12 to guide our discipline at home is this. Discipline inflicts short-run pain for the long-term gain of your child. We see this principle in Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that word righteousness is wonderful. It's adjusting to the way God designed life to happen. The fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents and coaches must be willing to impose the short-run pain of today's discipline for the long-run benefit of the character that emerges tomorrow. When you paddle a child for not listening to you but running into the street, you administer safe, limited pain so that next time he starts to run into the street, he will stop and not be hit by a car that might paralyze him for life. You administer safe, light, controlled pain now so he avoids more severe pain later. The fourth principle for discipline that we see in this Hebrews text is firmly disciplining our kids actually leads them to respect us more. The author to the Hebrews points this out. Verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. A 13-year-old penned the following letter to his dad. Dear Dad, I like the way you don't let me get away with much. Sometimes I act mad when I don't get my way, but deep down I'm glad you're strict. 
I would be scared to death if you let me do anything I want. I like that you and mom agree on the rules around here. At Tommy's house, if his mom says he can't do something, he goes and asks his dad because he knows his dad will say okay just to get rid of him. And then there's a fight, and kids hate it when their mom and dad fight. I like the way you tell me the truth about everything. When I grow up and have kids, I want to be just like you, your son, Jimmy. Well, admittedly, Jimmy was having a good day, and that's not the usual response of kids. Nevertheless, this verse from Hebrews tells us an interesting truth about the respect that men are driven to want. Letting a child escape the punishment he deserves may avoid his hostility directly right now, but in the long run, he will disrespect you for not disciplining him. The fifth principle we see about correct discipline in Hebrews 12 is this. Discipline puts your child on the path of life. Hebrews 12, 9 through 10 describes the benefits of discipline. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. The word holy means whole, not broken, not fragmented, restored to the way God designed us to be and to live the way we were designed to live. Parenting is about more than the present. We are preparing our child for his future. A child's destiny will be determined by his or her character. Whether she grows up to succeed in love and in life depends upon what she possesses inside. Cloud and Townsend observe, if a person's character makeup determines his or her future, then child rearing is primarily about helping children to develop character that will take them through life safely, securely, productively, and joyfully. Parents and those who work with children would do well to keep this in mind. A major goal of raising children is to help them develop the character that will make their future go well. Setting standards and giving painful consequences when they are not obeyed are like training wheels that reinforce correct behavior in our children while they gradually internalize the larger reasons for such behavior. Here are three foundational qualities we want our discipline to help our children grow into. For example, being loving. We want our children to grow up to be loving, but the foundation for being a loving person is realizing that the world does not revolve around them. Loving people consider the consequences of their behavior on others before they act. Training them using rewards and punishments can train them not to interrupt others while they are speaking, to come to dinner immediately when it is ready, treating the food preparer with respect, keeping toys put away and clothes hung up, which shows respect for the rest of the family, and so forth. The kind of training that is giving consequences for selfishness and mistreatment of others can then be internalized through the Holy Spirit as real love. Or consider being self-controlled. Saying no to a toddler and smacking her hand if she does something off-limits, like touching a stove, 
trains her to master her impulses. We made plenty of mistakes as parents, but one thing that we taught our toddlers was that when we yelled across the house to them or across the church lobby and said, come, they were to come immediately. We had four kids under four, so we could not mess around. But it taught them self-mastery, impulse control. So loving others and self-control. Thirdly, being responsible. We all want to raise up responsible kids. In many ways, responsibility is the foundation of character. It's knowing what I am responsible for as opposed to blaming others or making excuses. It is also knowing what I am not responsible for, which is a key to overcoming worry and trusting God. To cite boundaries with kids, again, my favorite parenting book, truly responsible people take ownership for the following things, their own feelings, attitudes, behaviors, choices, limits, talents, thoughts, desires, values, and loves. To take ownership for these is to be a truly responsible person, the kind of person with whom everyone wants to have a relationship. A responsible person says, my feelings are my problem, or my attitude is my problem. It is the opposite of blaming others. It is the opposite of an entitled mentality. The final but vital observation about discipline from Hebrews 12 is this. God does not simply tell us that his painful discipline will build spiritual fruitfulness later. God expresses empathy for our suffering right now. Listen to these words from the Word of God to us. Verse 11, For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as we read. Always accompany discipline with empathy for the pain that discipline causes. But don't rescue your child from the consequences of his misbehavior. Empathize with them about how hard it is to do the right thing and then still require it. I know it's lousy to have to clean up your room before you go out to play. I don't always love having to keep my office clean either. I know it hurts not to be able to go out to the movies with your friends this weekend because last weekend you did not get back by the curfew. Missing out on being with your friends is painful. It's painful for me too, but the punishment is not changing. Losing your phone privileges for a week must suck. I I hate missing out on what's going on in my friends' lives too. Or... I know it's easy to get angry and be disrespectful towards others. I had to apologize to my boss for my attitude towards her last week. But you still need to miss your video game time this evening and think about how it feels to be attacked by angry words. As we model our discipline of our children after God's discipline of us, we must also exhibit another attribute of God, his fatherly compassion. We read from Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Compassion does not mean canceling consequences for wrong behavior, but it is feeling the pain that our children feel as they have to learn some of the same hard lessons that we ourselves have had to learn. (music) 
summarize this episode, Adam was created and placed in the Garden of Eden to work it, Avad, and help it reach its full potential, therefore, but also to protect it, Shamar, keep it from being harmed. This dual role is seen in the creation design of men as fathers. All loving fathers, Scripture tells us, discipline their children. That discipline trains them into the character they need to reach their potential. So administering discipline fulfills our calling to cultivate those in the Garden of Eden to help them fulfill their potential. But discipling their children is also a way of fulfilling the masculine mandate to protect our children as men, because the most harmful force that can shape them, inclining them toward the path of destruction, is their own sinful nature. We examine six principles from Hebrews 12, where Scripture makes a parallel between human parenting and God's parenting of us. First, God's creation design is for fathers to be the parent in charge of discipline. Second, real love for a child is not tolerating wrong behavior and enabling a child's sinful nature to shape him towards self-centeredness, but disciplining him. Third, godly discipline instills short-run, safe pain to prevent future, more severe pain. Fourth, firmly disciplining our children causes them to respect us. Fifth, discipline puts a child on the path of life toward being a successful, well-loved person who is loving, self-controlled, and responsible. And finally, though sticking firmly to required consequences for misbehavior, godly fathers must show the fatherly compassion of God himself, identifying with the pain that consequences for our children's bad choices brings into their lives. Eliminating consequences because of compassion is hating your child, but at the same time, consequences without compassion is harsh. Our kids need both firm boundaries and consequences as well as compassion from us. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you answer a husband who said, my wife is so much better with the kids, I leave the discipline of the children to her? See the show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our four-week June series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God, by examining from Scripture how we can best and most effectively pass on biblical truth to our children. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it, as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.